Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 282, Coaching and the Illusion of the Separate Self. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. Today's episode is a replay of a webinar that I did um, just very recently with Rohini Ross, where we talked about the way that we work with people and how we mentor other people to work with people. So how we train coaches um, is rooted in awakening from old paradigms, from seeing oneself as separate from the whole of life, seeing anything for that matter as separate from the whole of life um, and the impact that this has. So if you are a coach or want to be or are a therapist or practitioner or helper in any way, um, there's a whole angle in this webinar that will be of interest to you. But if you, if you aren't, it's still great because we really like, this is just another way of really looking at what's going on here and what is important to see. So I talk about how living in this paradigm of me and my life, where I'm a me, I have a life, it's it's uh, based in time, I had a past, I have a future, that obviously that's the predominant paradigm that nearly everyone on earth is living within and firmly believing, most of them. Um, but it's, you can't have that and also have a whole lot of ease. You can't have that and also not have suffering, not have fear, not have insecurity. Like fear and insecurity and suffering are a function of that paradigm. There is no other way. There's no, the only other way, think about it, how how could you be a me in my life, live in a me in my life kind of world and and be fearless and secure and peaceful and happy most of the time and satisfied most of the time, you would have to be winning at this me and my life game. You'd have to be getting pretty much everything you want or somehow, this is what we also make up, somehow when you aren't getting what you want, you're just so resilient that it just doesn't even bother you. <laughs> like we can make up we can make up characters that, you know, like, oh, this person could be pretty happy and secure and fearless and even feeling like a separate self with a life. But I mean, we're making that up. <laughs> like that, it just doesn't work that way in practice. Now, there's nothing wrong with feeling fear and insecurity and, and, um, suffering because obviously we, we all know it, right? It's okay. And when I say that, that doesn't mean that when we see around this me and my life paradigm that that our emotions become flat or that everything's always happy. That's that's how the mind sees the other side of that, but that's not the other side of it. The other side of it is just that things, well, I mean, this is just how I'm saying it in this moment. Things don't stick in the same way because the parent, because we're not seeing everything through this, I'm a me, I'm fragile, I need to find things and nail things down in life to secure myself. Like when that is not seen, when that is not the predominant paradigm, all kinds of emotion gets to show up. It's fine. It's no big deal. It's, it's, 
impossible, I think, to really get a feel for that from within this paradigm. So anyway, Rohini and I in this um, webinar talk about coaching someone with agendas and to secure the sense of self in in their life and to have to resolve their past and have a better future and how that looks. And then we talk about it the way that we do it and the difference, absolute like power. I mean, just, it's just really, really different. <laughs> it's just a very, very different way of looking, a very different direction. Um, it is agenda free. It's, you know, and it maybe isn't for everyone. So um, if this appeals to you, if you're interested in this, I think you'll really enjoy this webinar. Um, Rohini sort of interviewed me in a sense. That was sort of the structure and the plan behind it. But she shares some really beautiful things and she's awesome. So you probably hear me all the time. And I think you'll really love um, what Rohini shares in this webinar. So I hope you enjoy it. Let me, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rohini Ross, and I uh, am co-founder with my husband, Angus Ross, of The Rewilders, and uh, we have a podcast, Rewilding Love. Uh, a lot of our work is uh, in couples intensives, and uh, I'm so grateful to have going <coughs> to uh, put you up higher on my screen. I'm also going to mute just so that there's some less background noise. There we go. So, Amy, if you could unmute yourself, I'm just going to mute everybody. And so uh, we're joined today with Dr. Amy Johnson. And uh, Amy is a psychologist, a coach, a writer, a speaker. Uh, her latest book is Just a Thought. She has a wonderful podcast called Changeable. Uh, she founded the Little School of Big Change, which is an online program. Probably many of you have heard of it or have participated in it. And it's helped thousands of people really experience more freedom from anxiety and unwanted habits. And she also has a wonderful six-month uh, change coach training program. And I know you've got that coming up in January. And so look forward to hearing a little bit more about that later on, Amy. And I'm just so grateful to say that, you know, you're wonderful colleague, mentor to me and friend, and I'm just so grateful for you in my life. So thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for hosting this. I'm really grateful. I'm excited to talk about this. And I love seeing that people want to talk about it with us. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's a um, topic that people are definitely interested in. Yeah. And so what I thought we could start out with, I know you and I am, you're going to have kind of a back and forth conversation, but I wanted to just start off with a little bit of context and share some of my journey around this that I'm still on, still in the exploration, still in the discovering. And hopefully that will give some people some context that is relatable and and then we'll have just, you know, conversation and we'll open it up at Q&A. We do have one question that was sent in um, via email, so I have that. But we'll open it up to the group so that we can really have a um, conversation with everybody who wants to, to share as long as we have the time to do that. And so for myself, I spent a long time really not understanding the distinction between coaching work or therapeutic work from the traditional model that was more exter that's more externally focused and work that was really about waking up more fully to the experiential knowing of who we are, uh, greater freedom. And 
there was some confusion in me because from a quite early age, like in my 20s, I started a pretty um, disciplined practice of yoga and meditation. I really was experiencing some incredible benefits from that and opened up to sort of, you know, what I would call a spiritual path. And, and so there's been that orientation towards wholeness and the sort of that felt experience that, that arises as sort of we drop out of our mind and drop into a more uh, present experience. But I didn't see for many years how that journey was still very much about me feeling better. Uh, this idea of using these practices as a way to have a better life, as a way to have a better internal experience. And so that's where things were kind of murky and cloudy. And so... It wasn't until I came across the understanding of the principles where I first had an experience where I saw that the seeking that I was doing, even though I was looking in the direction of wholeness, I was looking in the direction of a deeper experience of my true nature, my seeking was causing me so much suffering. And I was seeking happiness. I was seeking a better feeling. And the more I was seeking, the more I was suffering. And it just hadn't occurred to me before that point that somehow the seeking was the root of um, or part of the problem. And so then it sort of started this sort of little opening for me to sort of look in a direction that was less about me and how I felt and was more to do with experiencing greater freedom. And, and one of the things that was a huge shift for me is that I, I used to think that, oh, I want more happiness. I want more happiness. I want more happiness. How do I get more happiness? What do I do for that? And how do I have less suffering? And, and really what shifted was the experience of freedom became so much more alluring and more interesting to look in that direction than wanting a certain kind of experience, wanting um, a certain specific thing that I thought would make me feel better. And, and again, it was just this little taste of, oh, this freedom feels good. And I felt the pressure, and I'm sure many of you have felt this, where just the pressure is lifted off. There is no longer sort of this compelling desire to feel any specific way. And that I think a lot of the um, inspiration for the rewilders that Angus and I created was really about opening to the full range of human experience and seeing the aliveness in that and experiencing the freedom to feel safe within all of that, that that just was something that we wanted to deepen within ourselves and also to be in that exploration with others. And then through that lessening of stress, lessening of pressure on myself, there were some real changes in my life in terms of objective things, or I don't know if we can even say they're objective, but my health improved, my relationship improved, my business transformed, 
um, finances improve. So it's kind of like, wow, isn't this really cool? Like this happens. And then without even sort of focusing on it, all of these other shifts happen, which I think we can also, many of us relate to. But, you know, just like in the infomercials, I say, but wait, there's more. And so that, that was, is, is amazing to experience that. And this year I've had a different experience that to me is just a, a recognition of the, the externals are not sort of the, how can I say this? It's like, well, let me share a little bit about my experience this year. So my experience this year when um, my father passed away in January of this year, I didn't sort of know what the impact was going to be on my life. I didn't, I just didn't know. And I was really surprised at sort of how I felt afterwards, not even so much related to the grief of losing my dad, but I just kind of was no longer interested in doing a lot of the things that I'd been doing. And I didn't see it then. And part of this is me looking back. And so part of this is me making up a story, which may or may not be that true. But I think some of it feels pretty accurate to me is that as I look back now, I see that on some level, what I was doing was still feeding my need for validation, my need to feel special, my... um sense of self or value coming from being of service to others. And I think when I was just really faced with mortality of this, you know, body mind and the sense of my dad making that transition, it it just helped put some things into perspective for me. And I realized how I was working harder than I wanted to work. And all of a sudden that just wasn't a choice anymore. It wasn't like I could do that anymore because there was no longer the energy to do that. And and it was really interesting because this past um, October, Amy and I were both at the Viva conference and I had an amazing time, uh, you know, was kind of like getting back into life in a sense. And then all of a sudden I got really sick and I'm still not fully recovered from that. And it's been a month. And so again, it's like this energy that, you know, I have taken for granted in many ways, just all of a sudden isn't there in the way that I would normally have it. But what it has helped me to do is to go even deeper with this letting go of the identification of needing these externals in order to feel okay. And I didn't see how I was doing that to myself. And it's not that I think I was doing anything wrong in terms of I loved what I was doing in terms of the guide training that Angus and I were doing the Rewilders community that we were doing, the podcast that we created. I mean, I love all of the things that we created. But there came that internal shift that wasn't, was a choice, but it didn't feel like I was making the choice to just slow down and get quiet. And what I've noticed in that is there has been this deepening of the experience of gratitude, a deepening of the experience of freedom even in not feeling well, even in getting totally freaked out by 
am I going to be actually doing anything? And how am I going to make money? And what is this going to look like now? And so it's kind of like there's these experiences where you could say previously I had sort of this greater sense of freedom and there were all these, you know, you could say quote unquote wonderful things that happened in my life. And then today I've had this deeper experience of freedom and you could say, shit, my health isn't great. I'm not making more money. My business is a third of what it used to be, you know, but, but yet there's this deep, deeper sense of gratitude, love, appreciation, and continued curiosity into what is, you know, as Amy was talking about in the Viva conference, like what is real? What is living truth? What is it to be more free from conditioning and, and to sort of be open to how life is teaching me that and is really teaching all of us that. And so I just wanted to share a little bit of sort of my ongoing journey because it, it's, I feel like there's these glimpses that I have to what it is to wake up from conditioning, what it is to experience that unconditioned unconditional love within myself more deeply like there's these glimpses and it's still really difficult for me to talk about it and what in my mind in my intellectual mind feels like a coherent way and so that's why I'm very grateful to have you here Amy to uh, support this conversation and then I love the way that you speak to this topic and uh, and it is still revealing itself to me for sure but there what I think has been helpful is to understand that distinction within myself, for myself, but also for my work with clients in terms of what am I really up to? You know, what do I really want in terms of the direction that I'm looking in? Do I want to be comfortable? Do I want to feel safe? Or am I really interested in having greater freedom, even if that comes at the with the discomfort that does come with that at times, not always, sometimes it feels amazing, but I have to acknowledge that sometimes it feels pretty scary too, but I'm okay with that. And, and then <clears throat> this isn't also to, to say that there's a right or wrong, better way, um, less good way. I think there's, there's room for it all. And that was one of the other things that really became clear to me is that I got a little rigid in terms of because previously when I had used lots of different techniques as a way to try and feel better, then it's like, oh, well, those are all thrown away. But sort of revisiting that and recognizing, well, anything can really be used as a way to experience more presence, more truth, less identification with thinking that it's not about the technique necessarily, that it's really what's, where am I using it from? What, what direction am I looking at, looking from when I'm using it? And so those are some of the things that sort of came to my mind as I was thinking about this topic, Amy. And I'd, I'd love to hear from you, if there's anything you want to add in terms of that distinction between sort of traditional coaching methods and practices and, and sort of this other way of looking more deeply and seeing transformation and change through that direction. Yeah. Well, I love what you shared. And, um, and I have 
been through a similar thing in my own way over the past year. Also, um, it shows up in a lot of ways, but also related to work for sure, where um, the, the, without even fully realizing that there was still very much a foot in the camp of what should be done and what needs to be done. And, oh no, what if this doesn't happen? Like, you know, sometimes there's a rec- there was a recognition of that for sure, but also a lot of times it just was not even recognized. And then somehow it, that that foot could not just hang out in that camp anymore. <laughs> and very similar to like what you said, it's like, I couldn't force this if I tried. It just, it, it's just not there. And feeling all the stuff that comes with that, the gratitude in a lot of ways, but also the fear and the like disorientation, like, wait a minute, what's, what do I know then? What do I even want? Does it even matter what I want? Should I even have a want? (laughs) Like you just all, everything that, that happens with that. Um, So yeah, so me too. And in a lot of what you shared, but I, and I love like when you kind of shared the bigger picture, I mean, this is what I'm, I really see around this in terms of working with people is um, I think probably most of us came into uh, these kinds of conversations, like you said, where it's like, I'm a me and I have a life and I want to have a better life. You know, that just makes sense. Like uh, probably everyone came into it like that. Um, And we hang out there for quite a while and, and it's full of ups and downs (laughs) because when I'm a me with a life and I can do some things to bring more happiness or, a better relationship or a better business or whatever, you know, it really kind of keeps you going. It keeps you on that up and down. You have a lot of highs, you have a lot of lows. Um, The mind is in there trying to secure this me with a life, always plotting, always has an idea for how to make it better. Always, always, always will. (laughs) That's just what the mind does. It hangs out in this fictional time that it creates and, you know, comes up with how we're going to make it better for you. It's just full of hope. So much hope. It's not okay now. It's not good enough now. But don't worry, we'll make it better later. And so it just keeps us on this hamster wheel, which again, doesn't always feel like a hamster wheel. It can feel fun. It can feel exciting. There for sure is like a time in our life to do some of that, I think. You know, like I wouldn't have even been interested in this conversation in quite this way, probably 10 years ago, because my biggest priority was growing my business and had little kids and all of that. Totally fine, right? When that's our priority. But like you said, it's fascinating to see how there's no better or worse or judgment in this, but how just our, what's most important to us can really start to shift. And it often, often shifts from doing stuff in the world and securing this me with a life to like, what's even true here? who even am I? Am I really even a me with a life? Like, where? Where is it? I I don't know where I am. I can't find myself. I can't find my life. I can only find it in thought. Only ever find anything about me or my life in thought. And thought is like a ghost. It's like I try to get close and it vanishes and it changes all the time. So is that who I am? Is this weird image, ghost-like image and thought, which shows up differently all the time, you know? So I think for, again, just for many of us probably on this journey that that um, it's a really common way that it goes. And, and in the me and my life paradigm, 
um, you know, we either, like we were saying, we either just kind of outgrow that or we get more curious in a different direction and or often there's a lot of suffering in that. We kind of hit a point. That's how it was for me where it's like, okay, this, this, I'm not getting what I want here. Everything can be perfect out there. And I, and where's the lasting happiness? Where's the deep, deep peace? It's not in any of this. And so we kind of start, start to see that too. Um, and, and so as people, but also as practitioners and coaches, like, I think it's so huge for us to keep expanding in these bigger directions. Um, you know, because our, our clients are also going to hit their head on that ceiling. And we've probably experienced that all the time. And clients are going to come to us from certain certain places in their life. And again, that's fine. Or where their biggest priority is writing their book or doing this or that. Wonderful. But there's a lot more that we can explore with them. And for those who only are doing those things because they think that's what's going to make them happy. Well, gosh, we should know that. We should spot that in ourselves and really live into that ourselves. And then we can see that and help them through that as well, because we know better that isn't going to lead to anything that's real or lasting. Yeah, that's so helpful to recognize that there's the, oftentimes with clients, what they come to see us with. And then there's, often usually also an interest in the much bigger picture that they might not even have thought of in that way. So I wonder if you could share a little bit more about what you've noticed around how your work has shifted and working with clients, what that might look like. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is um, that what we're looking at um, is immediate. It's, it's, here it's now like you mentioned when you were sharing that there were times when you kind of just fully drop into the moment and you tasted that freedom and then it's like oh that's better than this happiness thing I was chasing like what is that that's again that like that's that's what's here right now it's not somewhere else it's not someday so so in the me and my life paradigm, it's all about, I'm going to be better someday. I'm going to end this habit. I'm going to end my anxiety someday, someday, someday. But to really, really see, literally, there is no other place. Like, there is no other place. <laughs> it would have to be made up in imagination. Like, where is it? There's no secret rooms that we just aren't seeing. There's no, this is it in your experience and my experience right now. Like, this is life right this second right now. There's no other time. There's no other place except in thought. Same place that me lives in thought, right? So to start to kind of really get curious about these things. So yeah, so people come and they want to work on things because that's what we're kind of conditioned to do. I need to work on this and then I'll get better, which is very innocent. Just how we see things, but so much of the shift in how the coaching um, conversations go is like, no, there's, we don't need to make this conceptual. We don't need to talk about this problem that maybe isn't here right now. No, maybe there's a, we do, like there's a time and place for that too. We also can hang out in the relative and we call each other by our names and we're not like, you know, hello, formless. Like we, you know, we, we can be normal in that sense, but but there's so much more of a focus of like, what is alive and immediate and here right this minute? And I think for me, and I think for you too, so much of that has been in feeling. 
because our mind just loves to make up imaginary worlds, imaginary rooms and imaginary times to keep us away from just feeling what's right here, right now. So it's, it's feeling, it's sensory. It's like, what is here now? And as we immerse in this and not so much in the conceptual someday, oh my gosh, I mean, it's just real and it feels real. It feels alive. It's alive. It's like, it's fresh. You know, it's, it's not just the same old recycled concepts. Yeah, that, that's so powerful. It's making me think of um, sort of when I was recently, you know, quite ill with COVID and, you know, can't do anything. And there was a point where I couldn't really eat. So I didn't, I was, and I don't, take pain medication very often anyway so I'm like just feeling everything like really feeling and and I'm like what's gonna be I don't even know how clearly my thinking was but I I was oriented like I want to have less suffering because this is really hard but any resistance that I have to this present moment is just creating more suffering and so what was like to what you're saying in terms of just being present even when it's not a pleasant experience being present to sensation mm-hmm. was actually a real eye-opener for me because there was such a difference in just being present to sensation versus resisting the sensation. And I felt incredible gratitude for aliveness. That was what came through that. And so it's not like, oh, A leads to B, do this and you feel that. But it was just such a profound experience in that sort of delirious state I was in to just see I can be with this. and. Even in this experience, wow, it's amazing to be alive. Yeah. And and that felt transformative. And I and I think that this sort of sort of phase that I'm in is really, I don't know if phase is the right way to call it, but just really feeling like, wow, this aliveness is incredible. And so there's some people that are just like, yeah, they get that and they're, they're going to want to experience that and they love it. But I'm wondering, do you come up against sort of challenges with clients or sort of um, difficulties where there might be a mismatch in terms of the clients, what the client's looking for and how you're working with them and how do you navigate that if that comes up? Yeah, I think it's... Um... Kind of like like we were saying earlier, it sometimes truly the priority for someone is doing something in the world as a me, you know, and that's totally wonderful if that's if that's what they want to do. Um, so so, but even in that, you know, like um, most of my clients right now, like want to see like they care about living truth, but but like I would say, any coach out there can coach someone around a, a life issue from this deeper, much deeper understanding. And that can be okay. But there are things sometimes that come up, you know, I could think, I think we just all have a, um, we kind of hit fear barriers. Like this is all so much about identity, really, who we are. And and like you said, and, and like I've experienced in the last year too, when these identities start to really crumble, it's not always comfortable. So if your top priority is comfort, then you probably aren't going to want to look in this direction. That's fine. I mean, if your top priority is comfort, I'm guessing you probably aren't getting a lot of coaching anyway, <laughs> just in general. Like, you know, people who get coaching kind of really tend to want to see a little bit more, but it's not always comfortable and and, it, and there is stuff that comes up. But, but, but like you said, 
what we're really looking at is like, how can I be in what's coming up, fully in it? And the the suffering in it is when we're in our concepts about how it should be and we're pushing against it. So it's like, like as we walk through this together with people, we're seeing like, oh yes, I hear you. There's all this, all this resistance that came up, all this fear, but we're really kind of getting to see what that is. Like, is this really a problem? The sensations, even feeling really sick, even not being able to eat it when you really felt it, it was not that huge of a problem. It's only the mind saying, when will this be over? That creates that. And the more we see that, like, I can't imagine a bigger liberation for anyone, you know, than than feeling like, okay, anything that comes my way, I'm going to fully be in it. Knowing that it doesn't mean anything about me because I, because we're looking at who I am anyway in the process of all of this. Um, it's not going to last because nothing ever lasts. Nothing ever has ever, ever, ever lasted. No feeling has lasted, really. We can't grab anything. So it's like, as those pieces get folded in and realize more and more, it feels amazing to just be in everything that's showing up. And I think that's a huge um, distinction too between kind of more traditional coaching and this way, at least how I see it is it's like, what we're opening up to is saying yes to everything. And before, I, I mean, for in my life personally, anyway, there was a lot of no's. Like, I don't want so much of this and I'll have more of that, please. And just so much trying to shuffle and manipulate. And this is very humble and not humble in that, like, I'm humble or you're all humble. It's like, who are even are we coming from that place of who or what even are we? Well, I don't know, but there's some aliveness here and there's something that keeps unfolding all the time. And there's something that's doing all this. So it's like kind of yielding and looking to that and looking kind of more at what wants to happen and what is actually real rather than what we want to happen. Yeah, that is um, freeing and sort of does put things into perspective. One of the conversations that Angus and I have, and I do think that we're more on the same page now perhaps than we've ever been (laughs) regarding this, but when I started to to sort of feel that freedom and be less attached to how I felt and less attached to outcome, he would get scared and he would feel, and I'm sure we've talked about this publicly, so it's fine for me to share this, but he would sort of feel like it was nihilistic. And I've had sort of other people say that they feel kind of scared when I talk in that way and I'm wondering, and I don't think I have a very good response because it's so perplexing to me because I feel so enlivened and excited and it feels wonderful. Like it's a great thing. It feels the opposite of, oh, nihilism, scary. But I'm just wondering if you've come across that, maybe you have a better response than I have, like just how you navigate that. Yeah, I don't th- think I have a very good response, <laughs> but um, but yes, all the time I hear that, and I and I felt it, and I think that's the thing. Like it, I think it's like, um, we really are looking at who we take ourselves to be. If you're if you're looking in this direction, um, and you know, it doesn't matter what I say. I can't really give a spoiler alert because it's all about discovering this on your own. But it's like when you look at who you take yourself to be. You, you kind of can't find them, <laughs> at least again, not in any real consistent right here in reality sort of way. So it makes perfect sense, right? That that feels kind of nihilistic at times. And 
or that there's fear that comes up, that there's, there is very commonly experienced that there can be a big fear barrier that comes up. And I think that's just, that's just very normal and just part of the body mind mechanism, part of this identity, part of what it does is it just says, nope, I don't want to go there. Makes perfect sense. I mean, we've all experienced maybe like a slightly easier version of that. When any kind of change, when we face any kind of change, the mind digs its its heels in and it's like, no, we don't want this. And it tries to keep everything the same. So when we're looking in the direction of what even is this and who am I, that's going to happen. Now, again, it might feel more like a matter of life and death than if it's just, you know, should I change my job or not? Um, but I think it's just helpful to see that it's all the same thing. And, and that fear barrier, like any feeling, is feeling. Always, when we lean into that, the, the fear in it is the mind saying, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, I can't, I can't. When we lean in, it's, it's you know, it's usually pretty quick. Yeah. And one of the other concerns that can sometimes come up related to clients, and I think this is a lot to do with the importance of rapport from my perspective and, and really uh, being on the same page with your client. But I know that sometimes um, in supervision, I'll get feedback that clients might feel when a, when a practitioner is working from this looking in this direction that they're dismissive of their experience. And, and I'm just wondering how that, how you address that into, because I know you're, you're a coach trainer as well and how you work with um, your coaches in that situation. Yeah. Um, It's funny. I mean, that's such a common question, isn't it? And even like in the three principles, it's like, Oh, it's all thought. Well, you can't tell people that that's rude. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so just to acknowledge, I think it, I think that's coming from a really well-meaning place. We want to be kind and respectful and, and we're worried about, maybe we're worried about people not liking us or getting mad or not wanting to continue coaching. But just, I would say, just kind of look at that at yourself, for yourself. Like, we're not dismissing anything. It's not really dismissive. It, it, again, that's kind of where the mind comes in and puts this fear up, puts this blocker, like, oh, you can't do that. But just... And when my coaches ask me that, I always say, I always say, like, they've seen me do a million coaching sessions. I'm like, well, you can honestly tell me, am I rude and dismissive to people? And they're like, well, no, it doesn't look like it when you do it. I'm like, well, then it doesn't look like it when you do it either. (laughs) You know, it's just, uh, it's just something the mind's, I think, kind of doing. So in a bigger way, though, to answer that in a better way, like, there's nothing being dismissed. That's, again, when you're on this me and my life and this me and my life paradigm, there's a lot that we're negating. There's a lot we're dismissing. There's a lot we don't want. Don't want this. This has to be this way. This is really, in a very extreme way, super undismissive, like super inclusive and welcoming of everything. So do I believe like that, you know, you're this totally separate person over there, Ruhaini, totally different from me and separate? No, not for a second. But again, when you are upset about something or feeling fear or sadness or whatever, I get it. I felt that too. So there's, it's just a giant and. We can be completely compassionate and relate on the relative level and also know the truth. And I think that's really where the power is. You know, we meet, always are meeting people where they are with full compassion and understanding, but we're not hanging out in their illusions with them. We're helping them back out of their illusions and people 
people get that and really appreciate it. And and especially when we're kind of newer coaches, or we can't see how that would look, but it it works out. Yeah. And I think that sometimes um, with clients, like there can be sort of um, an angry response that is sort of part of that ego defense mechanism that's really a great part of the journey working together to be able to hold space for that response and to allow there to be the resistance that can come up. And, you know, I've certainly felt it and, you know, I don't, I tend to feel more fear than anger, but some people go to anger rather than fear. And so to be able to have room for all of that is amazing. Yeah. So, so another theme, oh, sorry, are we going to say something, Amy? No, but I did just want to comment on Monique's question. Yeah, right? yeah, go ahead. Before we move on. And then yeah, perfect. Um, I mean, it's pretty much what we talked about, but she just said that the question she gets like, back to kind of the nihilism thing, like if that people say it feels horrifying to not want certain outcomes or to try to achieve certain outcomes. Just another thing that came to mind around that is, you know, again, when I hear that, it's like, well, that's a, that's an opportunity to look with that person at what they think those outcomes mean. Because of course, like we never want to take away what, what looks like the path to happiness or security for someone. So it's, yeah, it's just a great, like, like when that feels that horrible, it's like, okay, what, what are you, what's attached here still for you? And there's such freedom to be able to not have that attachment and still have the fun of creating whatever the goal is in life, right? And from a different place within ourselves. And I think that's what I've noticed within myself is that when things really shifted with my work is that it was no longer me sort of um, being in the grind of it. It was more, oh, this is my inspiration and I want to create these things. And and yeah, maybe I got a little carried away with all I was creating and my ego got in there, but oh, well, it's all part of the learning curve. Yeah. Um, and I think that's yeah. another thing that um, that the mind will do where, and you mentioned this and I felt this too, where it comes in, it's like, oh no, like you're not pushing yourself the way you used to. Of course, of course, the mind's just very black or white. Therefore, everything's going to fall apart. Or like even in a bigger sense of what we're saying, like when your me and my life paradigm is not the most important thing to you, are you saying you're going to neglect your family? Like when you're saying freedom and living truth is the most important thing to you, what about your kids? What about this? What about that? And it just, I mean, first I would just say, of course the mind would put it that way, make everything pick a camp, right? That's just what it does. But like th- things just don't fall apart the way that our mind thinks they're going to. So, I mean, it's hard to really speak to that. I don't really even know what to say about it, except to just see that as a fear. Like, and, and it's, there's not, there's not a choice. Like understand, like feeling fully free, no matter what happens, my mind would do this a lot. Like I want freedom. I want to know living truth at any cost. And then it would come in and tell me all the potential costs. Well, that's imagination. Yeah. Like, no, my kid's not going to get sick and die because I care about living truth. Like it doesn't, like that's exactly what a mind would say. No, everything's not going to fall apart. We're not going to end up under a bridge. Like, so just, it's just a good opportunity to kind of, kind of notice that stuff coming up. Yeah. And it's really the, the things that come to mind are just so helpful into seeing the conditioning for what it is. 
Yeah. And I think one of the um, themes that comes up a lot in the work that Angus and I do is this attachment to relationship and that we have to really educate the people that we work with that we aren't attached to their relationship staying together. We aren't attached to a specific outcome related to their relationship. We're really focusing on supporting them with having a deeper experience of their own wisdom of living truth to whatever extent they can. And we trust that they'll make the decisions from there and that that's on them. And, and it, it's, I think it can be um, liberating for clients to feel that way that we're not in there. Like we're going to make this, you know, work. Like it's like, Oh wow. And then also I think it can be a little um, unnerving too. It's like, wait, you're not going to fix our relationship and make sure we stay together. And so it's like, yeah, there's, there's something else that's uh, even more important. And I'll say like, I love Angus and I hope that I'm married to him for the rest of our lives and I'm going to be in integrity with living truth with myself. And if something shifts on that level and that's the feedback, then I want to have the courage to listen to that inner feedback because that is what I want to be in integrity with. And, and like you say, like I'm not thinking that's even going to happen, but I know that that's what I want to have the courage to do in terms of this experience. Um, let me just, I have one other question. I know there's more things coming up in the chat. So I want to ask you this question, then let's look at the chat and see um, if there's questions there, we can open it up to the group. But something that's very much um, talked about these days is trauma. And it's the often the way that it's talked about is makes it seem like it's its own thing over here. And so it has to be treated in a very specific way. And so I'm just wondering what, how you speak to working with clients with trauma from this direction and orientation. Yeah, I, I think this is where it's super um, important and helpful and helpful more than anything to just be in now. Because I do think, you know, there's body-mind stuff that's learned or the reactions that form after scary, bad things happen for sure. But but that it has nothing to do with what happened many years ago. I mean, not that it has nothing to do with it, but right now, it's coming up right now. And it's not it coming up. It's not the trauma coming up. This is where also where it's super helpful to feel free of labels and free of stories and to notice, you know, think we can all even if you haven't had big trauma you can kind of get a sense of how when something's coming up and it's like oh there's my thing there's my trigger or there's my trauma or whatever that's a totally different experience than oh wow my heart's racing let me just sit here and feel this for a minute or my mind's racing or you know I'm feeling super sad or super scared let me just be in this so it's like you know when we're just immediate kind of like you were saying about being sick like that's how trauma can feel is you're just here in whatever is without so many of the big conceptual stories that are tying it back to something that is never going to be solved or resolved because it's so old. It doesn't even exist except as thought right now. What's right here is real. So it's not to dismiss how trauma is showing up right this minute, all the story and the past around it, just to see that for what it is. And there's something in that presence with what is that 
wakes us up to what's true. And so the misunderstandings that were formed along the way from whatever events in our lives, they start to to look less real or to be able to dissolve even. And to me, the simplicity of seeing how presence allows us to wake up from conditioning, allows us to break free from misunderstanding. And, and, and it's just being present. Like there's nothing to do in that way. It's, it's like, it's, it keeps, I don't know why I keep getting surprised, but it's just keep getting reminded like the simplicity of this and how it is really the wisdom within each one of us or the collective wisdom that emerges as we get present, that that, that is doing it. And supportive when we can look in that direction and open to that direction. And sometimes there is discomfort as we lean in, but it's, it's just sort of part, it's not, that's not the end. And it is part of the human experience as we're waking up from misunderstanding and the illusion and opening more to what is real and what is true. It's so cool to see how the mind is always going to want to know then what. Mm. That's just what the mind will do. So that's such a common question, right? And an understandable one. Like, okay, I'm going to actually feel the stuff that's coming up. Then what do I do? Or like, or like we kind of have this, this belief that we're going to feel and then some, some next step is going to show up perfectly in mind directing us, you know, and, and I think it's like, that's all very conceptual. That's the mind just wanting to help us feel safe and secure. So, but like you said, it's so much just simpler than that. You yeah. just feel that's it. And then, then, and then life keeps moving as it yeah. always has. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the next moment comes. Yeah. All right. There's a lot going on in the chat. Let me have a quick look over here. Um, so, Amy, do you want me to go through the questions in the chat? I have one in the email and then open it up to the group. Do you have a preference on how we go about oh, this? That sounds great. So um, if, you would, if you have a question or reflection that you'd like to share, please raise your hand because I'll just go um, through as many um, people who'd like to share go through as many have as many people share as possible so if you raise your hand we can go in that order and then I'm just going to look in the chat and see if there's some questions here too all right so from Nina I'm wondering if you feel it's necessary to go through the process you are have been going through as a coach or one could just skip to where you are now in their approach to coaching Hmm. um so you mean like to have personal stuff Versus just coach from an understanding that I'm not, I think that's what. what Yeah, Nina, if you want to clarify, I mean, my sense is that we've kind of been on a journey that's got us to this place of sort of stripping away more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, But could you just start there? Um, I mean, I suppose in theory, (laughs) except then it's just going to be very theoretical, right? Like, like we can we can read non-duality and we can we can get a sense of this and I, and there's there could be something very helpful in that. So if that just and maybe that's maybe that speaks to people too. It's like if you kind of are newer to this and you do feel like okay, there's something in this. I'm not sure who I am. That's that's right. I am only in thought. And you know, if you're kind of just there with it, but you don't feel like you've really fully had your own personal experience with it yet, I think just across the board when we're coaching people. We just share what's real for us. 
that's always the answer, right? We just share what's absolutely real for us. And you might say, hey, there's some stuff I'm sort of exploring, but here's what I see. And then what do you see to your client? And then, and then Nina, as you keep seeing more yourself, it's only going to deepen your coaching. So I do think it's super important that we see as much as we can as coaches, obviously, but we can coach from, yeah, from anywhere. Yeah. Um, Laura says, can you speak about desire being a reflection of what the soul wants to create, that there's a reason we have a heartfelt desire? Um, hmm. For me, I don't know. For me, it gets a little, um, like, here's how I see it. We're just lived. And we live out, we do things aligned with desire, if you want to call it that, all the time. And then there's like desires that the mind grabs onto. And often, again, that's that's to make the me and my life better or like things will be better if this happens or whatever. Um, and those are fine, totally normal, totally human. But But when we're sitting around thinking about desire and talking about it, and is this for my soul or is it somewhere else? Like that's just all conceptual. And I think that's just good to see. Like that's a lot of thought about desire. And then all, while we're contemplating desire, we're being lived and we're going to the bathroom when we have to go and we're eating when we're hungry and that's all unfolding without our thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then one more in the chat and then we'll go to the people with their hands raised. Um, another Laura, is there anyone who would not be a candidate for this type of coaching where it could be too destabilizing? Yeah. And I think all you can do is know from the person you're sitting in front of, you know, there's no like, there's no, there's no like characteristics or way to kind of know that up front. But I think again, with any kind of coaching, anything, we're, we're meeting the person where they are and sort of feeling it out. It's like a dance, you know, you kind of are meeting them where they are and you're pushing a little bit and you're seeing, are they going where I'm, where I'm pointing them or are they holding back here? And so it's always like that, but for sure, for sure, there are people that say, I don't, I don't want to know any of that mumbo jumbo. I want to be a me with a life, (laughs) help me get my book finished. And then, you know, you can do that or you can send them to another coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right, so let's go to Susie. Hi, Susie. Hi, Hi Amy. Hi, Rohini. Thanks so much for this. It was excellent. Um, I just wondered, um, there's a lot, I'm seeing a lot at the moment about somatic sort of therapies and the fact that trauma can be stored in the body it's probably because I did a um, nervous system course recently so more of my algorithm is bringing that sort of stuff up but I just wondered what you kind of feel about that because that's kind of out of the head and out of discussion and more into the body yeah again I think when we're just here in the body with what's arising that's that's it and that's probably what a lot of that somatic stuff is doing it's bringing you into the body now the idea that trauma is stored and this and that now that gets a little more conceptual like who who knows or does it even matter if it's stored or if it arises right now fresh like how would we even know that you know what I mean and and why would we why why does it matter so I just and I only say that because I do see 
people get. They want to kind of like argue those points. Like, is it stored? Is it not? All of that. And I just think that's kind of a distraction. Either way, if there's something arising right now, go into that. And that's, I think that's really the beauty in a lot of those somatic approaches. Is that, does that speak to your question or is there more? Yeah, no, it does. But I guess there's a lot I've seen about, um, you know, your window of tolerance in your nervous system and the fact that that kind of learns from past, like if you're in fight or flight more often than you necessarily need to be. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's always about the present moment. So I guess, yeah, yeah, if you're facing it now, then you're helping your nervous system to regulate if you're just here with what's what's here now. If you're interested, if anybody's interested in theory and if that feels like it helps to, to contemplate whether something was learned and all of that, that, that's fine. But I think what you just said is it. Like, even if we know that my nervous system is rearranged because of something that happened. It, so like right now, you still get a feel, right? <laughs> so again, it can give some context. It can give some comfort and some relief, but it also can really get someone in their head about theory of things, and which is really what the mind wants to do. The mind is amazing and it loves us, but it really wants to just think a lot and it doesn't want you to just feel what your nervous system is doing. So that's kind of what I'd always have an eye on in that. Now, I love what you said, Susie, about recognizing that if we're in the present moment, that that brings us inside that window of tolerance. Like getting present allows us to be with whatever the sensations are in the body and it becomes manageable when we're not resisting it. So I think that's the most important part. Yeah, the window of tolerance is a thought, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we're not thinking about that, just like when Rohini was sick, you're just sitting here feeling there's no idea of a window of tolerance. There's just this. Yeah. Thanks, Susie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Bill and Connie. Uh, Hi, Rohini. Hi, Amy. Thanks for putting this together. I think it's great. And you spoke earlier in the beginning, Rohini, about about techniques. And I was actually talking with Amy just yesterday about uh, leaning in, feeling feelings and that. And I remember that back in the 80s, Connie and I were practicing this technique, a feeling exercise, which was kind of pointing exactly where we're looking now in terms of leaning in. And it was beneficial. And yet it certainly didn't have the result that it does now as I lean in. Mm. And you said, Rahini, that, uh, you know, the technique is one thing, but it's where you're coming from. And I wonder if the two of you could say a little more about that concept of where we're coming from and the role of techniques or strategies or whatever. Amy, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um, You can start. Okay, so... What I found was that when I was coming from the place of trying to feel better, that technique became exhausting. When I was trying to use technique as a way to improve my personal experience, it it had a limited benefit because I couldn't do it enough or I couldn't get it quite right. There was just a, it was just fueling the seeking and the suffering that goes along with seeking. And so then I got kind of rigid and thought like, oh, 
can't do anything. I can't meditate. I can't do breath work. I can't do any of these things. And then I realized, well, that's kind of silly. And so what I notice is that now when I do, like, you know, you've used a technique that in the 80s and you use it now and you notice a difference. What I notice with um, meditation or any kind of breath work that I'm doing that when I, when it's used, I'm using it to get present in this moment, not to escape this moment, not to try and feel better, that it's a very different experience. And it's also in the past, I might've been very rigid in how I use techniques. Like I've got to do this today, every day, or else, you know, I won't have a good day. Whereas now there's a much more, um, flow around it and it's more what seems to make sense and what's supportive of me in this moment and so for me I think the big difference is not resisting experience and I was using technique as a way to try and resist experience and feel better versus seeing that there's loads of ways that we can support ourselves as we get present to what is in this moment and that techniques don't have to be a bad thing they don't need to be used either so it's it's not a right or wrong it's just but when we're when we're like for example if I'm feeling stressed like I've got a hundred rohinis showing up on a zoom call and I'm like what's happening <laughs> I might breathe a little deeper for a moment <laughs> to get present and and just to because it's not like oh my god I've got to feel better but it's like okay I don't really know what's happening and then I figured it out so, so it's, that's sort of what I see as the difference. And Amy, add what you'd like to. Well, I love that. I mean, and I think that's, that's really kind of it. It's like the whole technique thing, it can feel like we're bringing it in, like you said, to manipulate something versus when we sort of know techniques, they just arise and are used on their own. Just like breathing. You just, you just find yourself taking a deep breath. You don't sit there and think, okay, it's time to do breath work. You know, it's just... So I think that's just interesting to see, like, what if this stuff can just arise when it wants to be here, like you said, in service of what's here already, not to manipulate. Yeah, that's really interesting what you say there, Amy, because I noticed some time ago, so I, like you, Rohini, when I learned the principles, it was like, this is so great. No techniques, no strategies. You just, this inside, you know, <laughs> so no no techniques. And then I would get tired some days and I would sit just to relax and close my eyes. And after years and years of meditation, that mantra would be there. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, like, is that, am I practicing a technique or is what the technique is designed for showing up? That, that, that's a really interesting new way to see that. I like that. Yeah. And the other thing, Rohini, what you were saying, uh, about you know you know I'm, I'm I'm breathing or doing a feeling exercise whatever to make to bring myself into greater presence. When you were explaining that, I was reflecting, and it's almost like you know I, I want to do the breathing exercise because I know that'll bring me more presence. And but there's also the more present I am, the more that technique or or it's like the technique is pointing me in a direction. And if I, the more present I become, the more that opening occurs. I, I don't know. It's it's not making sense. It's it's not the technique is necessarily the way in, because my presence makes that technique more 
effective. I mean, they go together, don't they? It's not a... You can't really separate them out. Yeah, you can't separate them. What's what? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's about presence. Presence is, (laughs) let's go home. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Beautiful. Thanks. Oh, well, lovely to see you both. Um, If any, I have something I want to ask you, Amy, um, but I want to invite other people to raise their hands because we have plenty of time if there's any other people who would like to share. But Amy, part of um, our pre- uh, communication you talked about how there isn't really a model with this and I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what you're seeing around that because I that I think is really helpful and it kind of fits into me this technique conversation too yeah it's like like um we're really talking at a totally different I don't even want to call it a dimension because it's also not a dimension. <laughs> like, I don't know what, how, what you, there's no words really, but um, it's not a different paradigm. There's no model. It, it, it's, it's like a stripping away, a opening, it's subtractive, you know, and it, and I think it's just this exploration is so led by curiosity and absolute not knowing. As soon as we think we know, then it just isn't really, it's fine, but it's not helpful in that moment if we think we know, because what we know is me and my life and all my stored knowledge, you know, and that's what we're, we're looking beyond. So it can feel, um, again, that's another thing that can kind of throw us off at times. We're used to a, our mind really wants a model. We're fine with no model. We don't need a model or a framework or anything, but the mind really wants a model. And if we've been very mind identified, it's going to want to know. And I think for those of you who work with people, we've had, you know, you've all had that client that's like, okay, so how do you work and how's it going to go? And in which session am I going to be totally free? You know, and it's so understandable, but it's like, no, it's not like that. I, I couldn't, couldn't possibly know that. Nobody could. I don't even know what's going to happen five minutes in. We're just going to be here together and do that exploration. I can, I can so relate because one of my things I get pulled into is, is wanting to, wanting to know like before this webinar today in my mind there's like I know there's nothing to prepare but the mind wants to know what I'm going to say and you know my you know all that kind of stuff and and it's it it you know it's just to resist it is to be with the feeling of oh I'm scared yes let's just be with that rather than trying to think about what I'm going to say to Amy when I have no idea what's she's going to say so how can I know what I'm going to say back yeah. So I think that's just like like that alone to be with someone and them have no idea where we're going. You have no idea where we're going. It's a, it it does. It brings up a lot of stuff that we can sit with and we can notice so much conditioning there. Yeah. Like why do you think you need to know? And who is it that needs to know? And what is that even going to do for you? There's a whole sense of security that comes from that. But what even is that? It's literally like an energy and a thought, and we don't even know what a thought is. Like what? But it runs us when we don't examine it. So there's so much. We didn't talk about this too much. I'll just be really brief. But so much in this too about looking at this stuff that's just totally unexamined assumptions, even about like what language does and how things look real, and you know, like, um, yeah, like I need to know where something's headed. Like to really examine that of like. What does that feel like? How is that represented? Do you have a picture of you like flailing because you don't know? Or like, what really, like, what is that? Um, 
that takes us to a whole different level. And again, it's very immediate. It's like, let's look at what's here right now as it's coming up. So like if someone, you know, some people come and they say like, I have anxiety, I need help because I have anxiety. There's so much in that to examine. And this is so different from a traditional approach where it's like, okay, you, you're a you with anxiety. Let's do some stuff to fix this. We're like, you know, well, well, first of all, who's this I and what is anxiety? And those sound like crazy questions sometimes, but honestly, I mean, what is anxiety? Where is it? It, it, it shows up, this thing that our mind labels anxiety or depression or whatever, it shows up. I mean, the labels just get applied to different sensations every single time. There's, we never have the same experience twice, ever. The mind will tell us we do. It's impossible. We've never felt this before. What you're feeling right now, you've never felt in your life. And, and so like to really start looking at that, oh my gosh, it totally breaks apart this assumption that I'm a me with this problem. And that's, that's you know, again, I just they didn't come up too much earlier when we were talking, but it's like huge departure and like so enormously helpful. Yeah, and, and, and so freeing to not be boxed in by a label and to then just be able to get curious about, well, what is really present? And just to use my example, <clears throat> I get these sensations in my mind goes to, oh, I need to think about this. I need to think about what it's going to be. I need to think about what I'm going to say as a way to try and soothe myself. And of course, yeah. that does not soothe myself. That gets me more wrapped up and more upset. And, and instead, just meeting myself with the fear, with the feelings of insecurity, with the sensations that go along with that, that's actually feels good. Like that's what was the the need that hadn't been met previously that I can meet in this moment when I don't go into the coping mechanism that provides this maybe, if I'm lucky, a temporary sense of, oh, this is helpful, but ultimately is just revving my nervous system up more. And I think recognizing that we can meet ourselves from that place of compassion just by being with the emotion, being with the sensation that ultimately we think of children when they're upset, what do they need? They need a hug. They need us to love them. They don't need to fix anything or do anything. But it is so supportive to not be alone in that experience. And so to 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 be able to be present with our with the experience in that way, to me, is just so transformative. Mm-hmm. All right, we have some other hands raised. So uh, is Jorgen, is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah, that's that's close enough. Is it? Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Jürgen if you want to be really Norwegian. Jürgen, okay, I'll do, I'll do my close, best. <laughs> close enough. Yeah, I, I was wondering, uh, and I know that you you know, guys don't have any definitive answers around this either, but but uh, whether you have any thoughts about the wider implications of this, like it seems as if so much of our culture is... Uh, you know, our, our criminal justice system, our democracy, property rights uh, is kind of centers around a a separate self. Uh, and it also seems as if both culturally that the cultures who function better, uh, relatively speaking, kind of cater to the individual and the individual's rights as we kind of do in the Western world versus the kind of theocracies and the old communist states. 
Uh, and it seems as if many of the people who struggle the most, the, the so-called personality disorders, one common denominator being people who don't seem to have really developed a sense of self. So I, I, I kind of wonder about what reflections you have uh, about the implications of there being no self to have free will or there being no thinker or chooser. Um, what, what do you see? What, what are some of the implications for you on a wider level? Criminal justice system, for example, uh, responsibility, these sorts of things. It's a great question. Um, you know, again, I, I don't expect any any solid answers. And it's just an interesting yeah. question. <laughs> no, well, I, I think, I mean, part of sometimes what's in this kind of question, too, is like, well, for me anyway, what comes up for me is like, I can only see it doesn't mean that there's not going to be hiccups and again, pain and suffering along the way, some fear along the way, but I can only see like freedom and more peace when we aren't so tied to who we think we are and what we believe to be true. I mean, look at every war is about beliefs and, and there has to be a person there that has a belief. So I think when we see that that's all completely made up, truly is this illusion, very realistic illusion, things can only get better. And it doesn't negate that when, say, someone doesn't see that and they go do something to harm another person because they don't realize that person is them, it, it, this is going to happen, that that we can't put some protections in place, you know? So it's like, I, I just, to me, and maybe it's just really like high in the sky, but I just, I see it only going better <laughs> when we really see the truth. Mm -hmm. And and what I was going to say also is like, I think what's sometimes in that is like, if we were inherently, um, if, if it was possible to be inherently evil or inherently selfish or any of that, this might, then we might need a lot more structure and a lot more rules and stuff like that. But again, I think as we strip away conditioning and thought and all of that, it only gets better. Like our innate health and love and just oneness comes to the forefront. So it's not like there's this evil thing lurking in there that, you know, needs to be tamed. I, I feel that I'm sort of like, for example, in raising my kids, that it, I, to, to, to me, it doesn't really look as if, as if there's a self in here that has free will in, in, in that sense. That's not my experience uh, really, but, but in, in raising my kids, I really feel I have to uh, teach them or, or kind of impose this idea of, no, that's your responsibility and you're responsible for that and you're not responsible for this and this seems age appropriate. And I feel as if I'm kind of not lying, but but making up a useful illusion that seems necessary yeah. uh, in, in, in a sense. Uh, I, I don't know how, how that looks to you, but but no, totally. I think it looks the same to me. I agree with that completely. And like we maybe are at a place where we have to make up that we have to reinforce this separation for their safety and all that because that this is still the the misunderstanding, if you call it that. It's it's the paradigm that the world lives in for the most part. So I, I mean, 
I don't, I don't really know, but yeah, it does kind of feel like we kind of can have a foot in that camp and we're kind of playing along because that's the predominant thing, but we can also know better and that we know that we know a deeper thing or we sense something deeper, you know, which I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. I love the question. I, I, the reason I got up is I wanted to grab this book I'm reading. It's called um, The Fall, The Insanity of the Ego in Human History and the Dawning of a New Era by Steve Taylor. And he's really looking at how human culture has evolved and what the title of the book is called The Fall because he sort of delineates a time around 6,000 BC where there was this huge ego explosion around among many cultures, not every culture. Um, and that he's sort of really looking at the impact of this idea of a stronger um, sense of self that that um, one how it came into being and also the impacts of that and he's looking at it regarding um, the criminal justice system war um, all, all kinds of things so I just thought it might be of interest to you because it's really speaking to that topic and I find it's quite fascinating and he what he points to is that in traditional hunter-gatherer societies um ones that have been less touched by Western culture and what they know from our, you know, um, anthropological studies is that there really were no psychological issues in those societies. Their level of psychological health seemed to be incredibly high um, and that the there was very little violence. There was a egalitarian rather than a hierarchical structure. And so he really... Um, sort of shows that there has been another way that has been successful in, in certain cultures, but that's not been what's predominated in many cultures around the world. So it's, it's an interesting exploration. Uh, it's, it's a tricky one, though, because there's so many different writers who write very different things about uh, topics like that. And uh, who really knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you get to see, you get to see what lines for you. But he's coming at it from a spiritual orientation. I would say fairly, I don't know if he's non-dual, but it seems like he's coming from that grounding, which to me is is interesting. Hmm. All right. Cool. I did see. Thank you so much, Jürgen. Thank you. I did see another hand raised, but it's not there. So there is a question in the chat. Let's see. Um, Natalie says, what's the difference between being present with the feeling versus feeding into it? i.e. adding to frustration, fear, and insecurity? I love that question. Yeah, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I would say like the simplest way probably to look at that, like being present with the feeling, it's, it's in the body, it's physical, and even in the body is thought, but it's felt, it's felt rather than thought about all of the stuff you add, yeah, adding frustration, fear, insecurity, all of those are thought. So there's, there's, it's an energy. It's why I just love to call it energy because it's also just very neutral and safe. It's like, where, where am I feeling this sensation, this energy, that something like that is being like really in the feeling. And then the mind might be projecting insecurity and fear and all of that kind of stuff. And that's fine. You're not going to stop that, but you can feel, you can be like in these sensations and also notice the mind doing whatever it's doing. And I think that's, a, I hope that's helpful. It's, it's 
it's hard because the mind wants to complicate it, but it's really pretty simple. It's like a felt sense rather than conceptual thought form. And I think as you get a feel for that, because I remember when there was a time when I had no distinction between feeling and, you know, quote unquote wallowing, Angus would call me a wallower. (laughs) It is not kind moments, but I would, I would, you know, he could just see how I was feeling, but I was also ruminating Mm -hmm. and, and it would just go deeper and deeper down this spiral. And, you know, he talks about when I moved to London, how to have these hours of crying on the bed in my twenties. And, and now what I can see is like, oh, when I'm just with feeling, and sensation, it it moves through. It doesn't have that downward spiral feeling. And if I'm in that downward spiral feeling, I know I'm engaging in the narrative. So it gets easier to to make that distinction experientially. And yeah. it's a very, in my experience, a very different felt experience. I think it's super helpful to play with moving attention. Like this is something I do a lot. Like attention is going to be in the senses, it's going to be in the body, which is also the senses and the felt sense, or it's going to be up in thought. There's nowhere else for attention really to go. So we're, it's either immersed in hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, feeling, or thought. That's, that's, those are the options for attention. And it could be all of those, of course. But like, I, I mean, I just do this like constantly in my day. I'm just noticing like, where's, where's attention? And, and it's purposely, habitually at this point, just rooting down in the felt sense, also going out to sounds and seeing and all of that. And then I notice right away when it gets pulled up into thought. But just like you said, Rohini, I didn't, I didn't, wouldn't have known what that meant even just a few years ago. I think it just takes a little just being aware of that and then it gets to be pretty clear. Mm, right. Enrique. Hi, Rohini. Hi, Amy. Hi. Good to see you together. Um, Good to see you. Well, I have raised my hand before uh, when uh, Jorgen had asked this question. I go, oh, he has the question that I was going to ask. And now what I wanted to ask is about attention. And then Amy answered even before I asked. <laughs> <laughs> we are so what, what I was thinking um, before is that perhaps... What I would like to hear a little bit, um, if you talk a little bit more about thought recognition, because before we were talking about being present, and we know that we are always here, present, and either my attention is here with me, in, with you, or I'm all the way there in thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking with clients, I have found out that what helped me is helping them see that and realize the the big, big role that thought has in our experience, making up stories. Like uh, the concept that any reality that I perceive is only what I'm making up with thought in my head. And uh, yeah, I would like to hear a little bit more about that. Maybe some people get some ideas. And the other thing is, if my attention is my superpower, and if I'm here with you and I'm really present, then I don't have the opportunity to go and get lost in insecure judgmental thinking. But most of the time, I'm a little bit here and then I spend like 50% or 60% of the time there. So that's all I have to say. 
Well, just the fact that you recognize that, I think it's that simple. That's huge. And, I, and that's what we can teach our clients to do very, very easily. And we should play with it ourselves, I'll say. I, th- I think we should always play with things ourselves before we try to share it with others. But um, but yeah, just that. I do that constantly. Like, oh, where am I? Like even talking to you right now, kind of like you said, there's like a there's like a, some attention just placed right here in the body and it tends to just hang out there. And then thought can come up and something can distract and something can distract up here. But I think it really is as simple as just noticing that. And and then it all, I don't even know how to describe what, I mean, I don't even think there is an and then. It's like we just notice it. And naturally, you know, we all know that that we don't want to be living in imagination. We don't want to be in the, all these thought concepts, especially when it feels bad. So it's like this, this just habitual pull down into the body and into the senses that kind of wants to happen. I also think like when I say it that way, it wants to happen. That's, that's moving in our favor. Because when we get quiet there, if you get quiet long enough, there's a movement downward, if you could say it that way. Like there's a pull into the heart, into the body that we just miss because our mind's going so much and we never really tend to get that quiet. So like there's a whole momentum, I think, in favor of bringing us back here because that's where we, that's our nature. And just noticing thinking and the noticing thinking part, I would just say, don't get discouraged for everyone, like it's very easy to get discouraged. I got very discouraged because as soon as I started listening to thinking, I was like, man, there's a lot in there. I don't like it. And I can't even find where one thought ends and another starts. I could be, I could be like, ooh, my mind's quiet right now. And then it's like, no, I just planned what I was going to do. And like, and then you realize that, you know, like, so it's easy to get discouraged, but like the more we're noticing that and picking out thoughts, even you don't have to do this all the time, but like, like, oh, there's a thought. Oh, isn't that interesting? What was that about? That was another one about me. That was about the past. That was about the future. They start to have more space between them and get kind of easier to do. So I think all of that kind of works together in exactly what you're saying, where eventually attention is just here and in the world so much more than in the thought forms. Beautiful. I like the idea of recognizing thought as, as a tool because Rohini just said, or made a comment, and I go, yeah, it's great. But then I, I thought a little bit more. I said, thought is the only thing that can separate us. And that's definitely true. When I have an argument at home, it's thought. Mm-hmm. But also, when I come down, thought is the only thing that can bring me together. So mm-hmm. we can use it either way. That's why it's so important to me to recognize the presence of thought. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Enrique. Amy, I just remembered that there was a question emailed in. Can we go to that one next? Sure. So um, the question is, I understand that circumstances don't create reality. Thought does. So why do you think it is that it can be so hard to find peace of mind in some circumstances, particularly the ones that feel unsafe or hostile towards us? Is it just habitual thinking prompted by the sensory input of circumstance or is it something else? If, let me know if you want me to read it again. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you can share if you have thoughts on it too. But like, I think it's, I think it's just that. I think it's like, and I, w- I just would say it's not, I don't know that it's thought so much. It's identification with thought. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, something happens. The mind goes off instantly. 
And there's this, all of our attention, again, is up there because it has been. It's just kind of an addiction. It just has been for so long. Habitually, all the attention goes there and it looks real. And then thought is telling us how to get out of this problem. And it's very compelling. And before we know it, we're just in in all of that and, it, and we're identified with it. So it has nothing to do with the circumstance for sure because any thought can show up in any circumstance. And it isn't even about thought per se. It's kind of like our relationship with it, our believing of it. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that jumps out at me with this question is where um, I understand that circumstances don't create reality, thought does. But I don't know that thought creates reality either. And so I think it can be really a great exploration to, not that I know what reality is, but to look in the direction of what is reality. and that moment-to-moment experiential revelation kind of shows us some things about it, but it's a total mystery still. But I think that thinking that thought creates reality can also be sort of something that that makes it confusing. Yeah, definitely. And, and just like along the lines of that exploration, there's many thoughts we have that don't feel at all like reality. Like you could say, I'm, you know, Queen Elizabeth, and that, that, I don't, that's not my reality right now. It's just a thought that showed up. So, yeah, so there's something deeper in there. It's the beliefs, identity, but what is, yeah, what really it yeah, is. What is reality? All right, so Linda has her hand raised. Do we take one final question? And then, Amy, I would love for you to share more about your coach school, if you're willing to do that, because I just think that it's such a powerful training, and I think it would be great for people to know about it. Linda. Hi, everybody. Hi, it's lovely to see you. <laughs> and everybody else. Hi, Linda. There you go. Bye. <laughs> so, so funny. When I came out of the call today, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, what I loved about uh, this conversation was that you were talking so much about getting into that felt state the what we're talking what you were talking about today which of course uh, anybody who knows me on this call it's it's my love is deep and loving intimate relationship that i have with my body and what i think is possible for all of us by having that deep loving intimate relationship with our body and those sensations in our body and it just um really speaks to me about how Sid talks about listening for a feeling. And it's not listening, searching for a feeling like you were saying, Rohini, and Amy, I can't see you right now. Saying searching for a feeling. It's just listening for a feeling of what is present for you in that moment. And knowing that That's all you need to do. Uh, anyway, I've just really, really appreciated this conversation and uh, the direction and where you're pointing everyone, including me too. And, and uh, thank you. Mm. Thank you, Linda. That's beautiful. 
I love how you talk about that, Linda. Like it, I just feel like, oh, I just want to go back and feel my body. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's so, it's so. It's real. your soulmate. That body of yours, your soulmate knows you like no other. And it's the yeah. truth and it's real and it's, it's right here. It's not all conceptual. Oh, like, I know. <laughs> real and alive. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for sharing. All right. So, Amy, would you be open to sharing about your program? Yeah. Um, well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, everyone, for this conversation and Rohini for for hosting this. I love just love what we're talking about. I'm so excited about it. I mean that and that so many people are interested in this and that we're it's just so fun to look in a deeper, kind of truer direction, I think. Um so yeah, so my coach training program, I've uh, been running it for several years now. It starts, uh, the next one starts in January. I do it every year from January to May. And um, it's a really, um, it's a relatively small group. It's a very immersive program where we focus on uh, what we, what our living truth is. We really focus on our grounding and who we think we are and what we see, knowing that the deeper we go in that, the 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 clearer and simpler life is for us, it's going to be so much easier to work with others and point them in that direction. It's just going to be natural from what we see. So there's a lot of personal growth that happens in it because it's very much around our own grounding. And it's also very much around actually being in these conversations. So um, a lot, a lot of coaching happens, a lot of coaching with feedback and supervision, which I think is is so valuable, you know, and it isn't always the case kind of in the, in line of what we're talking about. It's not, a, it's not conceptual. It's like, we're, we're doing these inquiries ourselves and exploring who we really are. And then we're doing them with people and we're doing it in front of each other. And we're dissecting that and debriefing it. Um, we do have a lot of coaching demos or he does a coaching demo for us. Um, I bring in other experts to do those demos. We have uh, webinars, we have a lot more coaching. We do do some business stuff, but it's a really great program for people who are either brand new to this and really want to deepen in their own grounding and potentially work with others, or maybe you know you want to work with others, or for people who you know are therapists or coaches, maybe from other understandings, who just want to use this to like, wow, let me see how much deeper I can take this. Um, so. Yeah, I love doing it. And how so many in-person meetings do you have, Amy, as part of that? Yeah, we have four um, two-day in-person meetings. Right. So they're two days long, and there's four of those um, between January and May. Um, and then again, we have we meet kind of weekly or every other week with other activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that combination of virtual and in-person. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. All right, then. So, Amy, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to put the gallery view on so I can see more people. But thank you, everybody, for participating. Oh, I'm seeing so many Rohini still. Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, you know, hopefully more to come. Just so grateful to spend time with you. I always see something a little deeper when I'm with you. And, And I really appreciate the way that you can speak to this and, and really um, I feel the grounding of the experiential nature of that. And, and, and that I don't often um, experience in this conversation in that I can sometimes get very 
feel to me, not that it does, but in my experience, feel heady and conceptual. And I don't experience that with you. So thanks so much for helping me stay grounded, at least, and hopefully others as well. Thank you. It's fun, fun exploring with you always. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, everybody. And if you want to um, re-listen, I'll send a link out for the recording and just sending you all lots of love, wishing you a happy holidays and um, may your hearts be full. Thank you, everyone. Beginning in early January, I'll be leading a brand new course, the Welcoming What Arises Workshop. This three-week course will expand on the free Welcoming What Arises class I taught last January. In the workshop, we'll lean in together, learning to fully embrace the felt sensations of life. I found this way of going straight into the physical to be incredibly powerful and freeing. I'd love for you to join us for this workshop. Go to dramyjohnson.com slash welcoming class to learn more and to sign up.